Larry Reed, thank you for coming on. Pleasure to be with you. My pleasure to have you. Now, Larry, you are the author of the book, Was Jesus a Socialist? What's the genesis of such a book? Okay. Well, I heard this idea that Jesus would be sympathetic to socialism way back as a teenager, and it troubled me back then. But I finally got around, when I heard it uh, more frequently in recent years, to writing a book about it. And uh, it's been uh, very successful in the last uh, year that it's been out. And I really think that it's a critical matter because we're talking about uh, our Lord and Savior. We're talking about a a rather important man in the history of the world. And we ought to have a a pretty accurate view of what he had to say. And it's my contention after reading and rereading the New Testament multiple times that there's nothing in it that suggests he would be sympathetic to anything remotely similar to what we now know as socialism. Nothing whatever. And the premise by which you judge uh, the fact that, uh, and, and in my opinion it is a fact, uh, that Jesus Christ was not a socialist, what, what, what do you build uh, upon? Well, that's a great question because so much of this matter hinges, uh, CL, on how we define socialism. There are a lot of people, especially young people who come right out of uh, high school or or college, who've been told that socialism is uh, helping people, caring for people, giving them things, and so forth. If that's all it is, well, then just about everybody would be a socialist. But what socialism really is, is the concentration of power for the purpose of centrally planning the economy or forcibly redistributing wealth or accumulating property in the hands of the government. Uh, socialists all believe in those things to one degree or another. And when you read the New Testament, you'll find that there's no place where Jesus suggests that, uh, you know, let's raise taxes, let's put government in charge, let's handle charity through politicians, let's rob Peter to pay Paul. He never suggests any of that sort of thing. He was more interested in what was in your heart, uh, not uh, what was, uh, you know, your political preference. Does the tenets of uh, Jesus or the idea of Jesus being a socialist, does it come also from uh, what we would call black liberation theology? How do they couple? Yeah, uh, liberation theology, black or white, uh, basically says that because Jesus seemed to have a great sympathy for the poor, that therefore he would be in favor of massive uh, forcible redistribution of income by government, government programs to help uh, one group or another. Uh, But, you know, the Bible clearly says that that God loves a cheerful giver, uh, and no place does Jesus sanction the forcible redistribution of wealth. He's even approached in uh, the book of Luke, Luke 12, 13 through 15, by a man with a request to redistribute wealth. The man says to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divideth the inheritance with me. In other words, uh, you know, I don't think I got my fair share or he got more than me. Uh, Use your power to take from him and give to me. And Jesus's response was, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Take heed and beware of covetousness. So uh, there are ample passages in the New Testament from the words of Jesus himself that suggest that even though he had a strong sympathy for the down and out, 
he wanted uh, the rest of us to help those people uh, from our own resources and through our own free will. He never said, turn it over to the government. Larry Reed is my special guest, and he is the author of Was Jesus a Socialist? There will be other uh, topics that he and I will broach together. But when we talk about fair share, Larry, Dr. Thomas Sowell brings up an interesting question. He asked the question, exactly what do liberals mean by fair share? Exactly what is the fair share that they're talking about? From your perspective, what what is it, Joe Biden, and that, that will lead me to something else that you have written about him. Uh, what, what is he talking about when he, when he talks about fair share? Talk to us about that. Well, you know, that's hard for me to say because I don't think he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> these guys like Biden, uh, the other class warrior progressive types, uh, they're always talking about this group needs more uh, from that group. It's only fair. Let's take it and give it to them. And my guess is that this is a political tool more than anything else. This isn't something they've thought through carefully that's grounded in either morality or economics. My guess is if the uh, top 20 percent of taxpayers accounted for all of the uh, taxes in the country, uh, they would still be out there claiming that they're not paying their fair share because this is the way class warriors work. They pit group against group, and then they posture as the saviors of the group they've identified as the victims. This is a political strategy. They will do it no matter what the numbers uh, may suggest. When we talk about critical race theory uh, and we talk about uh, how the Democrats uh, are, in fact, the people who want to identify uh, us by color and then value put value upon the worth of a, a human being in America by his color. Is that something that Joe Biden is used, being used as a pawn to promote? How is it possible that he was chosen to do that since you acknowledge that, and I agree with you, he, he doesn't necessarily know what he's talking about. What What's going on here is my question, Larry Reed. Well, I think it's political strategy. It's, you know, there's no uh, motivation in life that, in my belief, historically, is more toxic than the lust for power. And those who want power uh, usually want ever more of it. And uh, the best way so often they think they can get it is to run around saying, you're a victim, I'm your savior, vote for me, or, or here's some, something I got for you from somebody else, don't forget me at election time. Uh, and, you know, we're suckers if we sit back and say, oh, thank you so much, Boy, what a person you are. No, they're 90% of the time they just want to accumulate power from themselves and they use the rest of us in order to get there. That, that's right out of the uh, Democratic Party playbook and uh, sometimes even Republicans play that game. Let's talk about America and its greatness. Uh, most of us, if you've studied, know anything about um, how American businessmen uh, made their money, you can't help but uh, acknowledge uh, the Rockefellers, and but the Rockefellers uh, came into wealth by lighting up the world and taking yeah. risk and that type of thing. Uh, it, that's that's how. But, but the risk is the important part to understand. Do people understand the importance 
and the ability of entrepreneurs in this country. You've written about this. Uh, and, and, I don't. And talk to us. Oh, about I'm it. sorry. Talk, don't talk to us about that. Go ahead. Yeah, I think there's a great deal of underappreciation for the entrepreneur. Uh, there's so much praise these days for the so-called common man. Uh, you know, if you're lumped into that group uh, as being common or part of the common man, that's supposed to be a compliment. But uh, I don't denigrate common folk, whatever that may be, but I think it's the uncommon among us to whom we owe the greatest degree of gratitude. It's the people who stand out from the crowd, who uh, muster the courage to speak truth to power, who are on the cutting edge of things like invention and innovation and problem solving, the people who create wealth, not just simply uh, take it and, and throw it around uh, at other people's expense. Uh, and that's essentially what an entrepreneur does. An entrepreneur like, say, John D. Rockefeller, the uh, original of the Rockefellers, uh, he created stuff that previously didn't exist. Uh, we think of them sometimes because our teachers have told us this, that they are robber barons. But John D. Rockefeller didn't steal from people to get uh, wealthy. He consistently improved the quality of his product, primarily kerosene, and consistently produced ever more of it for very happy customers all over the world in direct competition with uh, other entrepreneurs and countries uh, on every corner of the planet. Uh, he was a fantastic entrepreneur, didn't steal from anybody. He left the world a far better place and gave us a product that previously had just been sitting beneath the surface of the earth doing no good to anybody. Absolutely right, folks. And uh, it was the risk that, uh, and it's always the risk that creates jobs. When we attack the rich, when we attack the rich, and, and that appears to be the game plan of um, the, the, uh, the, the, the agenda of the Democrats these days. Larry Reed is my special guest author. The book was Jesus a Socialist and uh, obviously uh, someone who is well studied on the landscape of American politics. When we attacked the rich, are we feeding our young people something that is uh, definitely uh, antithetical to their own uh, survival and, and future when we teach them that you have to hate those who create jobs? John, what type of tripe is this? <laughs> Talk to us. Yeah, great question, uh, CL. Can you imagine parents telling their children, Hey, work hard. Maybe someday you can be common. Work hard. Maybe you can someday be average. No, uh, that would be uh, child abuse. Uh, any entrepreneurial society, any free and prosperous society should involve parents stimulating their children to go as far as their talents can take them, to go out there in the world and find something that they can do, something they can offer other people that they'll value and become wealthy in the process. I mean, that essentially means that they're serving. When you become wealthy in a free society, not using your political connections, but rather serving customers, what that says is you're doing the world a great service. Uh, if, if somebody goes to uh, a concert and there are 50,000 other people and they all pay 100 bucks a ticket, yeah, the, the uh, band is going to get a lot of money. But look what they've done. They haven't taken anything from anybody. Uh, it's a voluntary transaction. They may get rich, but they've made the world a better place in the estimation of those who voluntarily uh, decided to go hear what they had to do. You know, Larry, you uh, produced something, uh, and it wasn't. To me, it's not satirical. It is absolute truth. And uh, the caption actually is, Joe Biden knows 
Jim Crow. Very well. <laughs> and you know, you know, Larry, I'm 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 over sixty years old, man. I, I I remember Jim Crow in the South. I was there in Shreveport, Louisiana. Talk to us about this article. Talk to us about why you had to write this one. Okay, uh, you recall that uh, a few weeks ago, Joe Biden attacked the the new voter voter integrity law here in Georgia. I, I live in Georgia now. I have been for the last eleven years uh, living here. And I read the law, and here comes the president saying this is Jim Crow on steroids. And I'm thinking, what? (laughs) As I said in the article, it's more like uh, Joe Biden on hallucinogens, because there's nothing in the law that makes it harder for people to vote. It expands voter access. But then to suggest that uh, it's Jim Crow is to trivialize a very painful episode uh, that lasted for decades in American life. And Joe, Joe Biden really should know as well as anybody what Jim Crow really was, because he often cited as his hero, uh, the former Senate Majority Leader. Yeah, Robert, Robert KKK Byrd. <laughs> yeah, you know, he was elected unanimously. Byrd uh, was elected unanimously, exalted Cyclops <laughs> of his local Ku Klux Klan chapter. <laughs> that, the Democratic Party has been the uh, uh, the author, the architect, and the primary implementer of Jim Crow in state after state. I mean, and think back, it was Woodrow Wilson, Democratic president, who resegregated uh, the entire federal government. Yeah. It was uh, Woodrow Wilson who refused to acknowledge and shamefully treated black soldiers returning to America from World War One. Yeah. It was Franklin Roosevelt who snubbed jesse uh, owens and refused to invite him even though he won four gold medals at the 1936 berlin olympics fdr refused to invite him to the white house but invited all the white athletes yeah. Yeah. in the olympic games to the white house yeah and and they talk about systematic racism in 2021 get out of town man <laughs> listen yeah, they're hypocrites. tell everybody uh larry it's been a a, a pleasure absolute joy having you on uh, michelle be sure to put larry in the the uh, the uh, circle of interviews that we do on a regular basis i, I just really have enjoyed it. i know we could sit and talk for hours and soon when i get up there to uh, utah i do well i get over to georgia i get over to georgia a lot but i when, when i get up you and i get out to utah we need to get out to utah and uh, break oh, yeah. bread with our friend out there but listen God bless you and God keep you, man. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you and how to get you to where they are if, in fact, uh, you know, they're inclined to do so. Okay. I have a website where I put everything that I write. It is lawrencewreed.com, and that's spelled L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E, middle initial W, last name Reed, R-2-E-D, uh, no punctuation, lawrencewreed.com. And I also posted fee, F-E-E dot org. But everything's on my website. It'll take you to a lot of other places where I publish uh, articles of one kind or another. Very delightful, man. Listen, God bless you and God keep you is my prayer for you. Continue to fight the good fight, Larry Reed. I know that you will because you are fighting the good fight. Thank you for being on with me.